Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, we are talking about DC's brand new police chief, and it's no longer quite so new surge in crime. We're also talking about the future of ranked choice voting in DC and about where to watch the Women's World Cup. This is a cool city to do so. I'm joined by Dan Reed and CityCast's own Julia Karen. Today is Friday, July 21st. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. So her name is Pamela Smith. She is actually already an employee of the Metropolitan Police Department, although not a like career lifer the way the last few chiefs have been. She, for the last year and change, has been a part of the MPD. She had been the chief of the United States Park Police, which is actually has a fairly big footprint in D.C. It is not, you know, the, the word evokes like park rangers and stuff like that, but it's actually... They have a lot of urban parks, and they do kind of regular policing there. But she was brought in to D.C., to the, the Metropolitan Police Department, a little more than a year ago, to be the first chief equity officer of MPD. They have been, MPD was on the bad end of a, some lawsuits, including by a bunch of black women police officers who alleged that they had been passed over and otherwise you know, not treated well. That was sort of her brief when she joined MPD. She then became the assistant chief of uh, Homeland Security here. So it's sort of an interesting balancing act the mayor has. On the one hand, she has staked out the more aggressive anti-crime position, by which I mean to say she has staked out a position that is not favored by the most vocal police reform fund advocates. On the other hand, the person she has promoted to the top is someone that she brought in with the express purpose of making MPD more humane for its own diverse staff and, I think by extension, the general public. So uh, that's sort of where we're at and the, all the stories about her and all the conversations about her, and probably including the one we're about to have, deal with the fact that she is taking over against the backdrop of the city's kind of 25-year decline in crime having ended and now having gone way up. Violent crime is up, I think, 36% this year. Um, I don't know how much policing uh, has to do with that, but I don't know. What do you guys think of the uh, the appointment and the politics around it? I think the politics around it are interesting. One of the quotes from the Washington Post piece that I read was that in NPS, she was really kind of stifled by the bureaucracy. Like she wanted to do more and thought that the, the whole NPS bureaucracy, because it's park service, but also they kind of function as their own police force, got in the way of some of the changes that she wanted to make. So do we think that she can kind of nudge MPD bureaucracy to kind of come to her whims? Or do we think she's going to have the same problem that she had at NPS? This is this is apropos of nothing. I guess I can't believe it took this long to have a black woman running the MPD. Oh, yeah, that too. 
I can't help but wonder if some of her challenges at NPS are related to that. And so I wonder how much that might repeat itself here. For sure. You know, I think you've got a situation in the district where the police department is a higher percentage of black people than the city's population at large. On that front, it's like, by the standards of American police departments, pretty good. It has had a lot of uh, challenges. It's, uh, you know, I've written about uh, potential like white nationalist sympathies among members of the force and whether they've done enough to root that out and so on. But I think the divide in city politics is do we adopt sort of more headline-grabbingly aggressive tactics about crime to kind of assure people who've had an emotional reaction to the the sense that the city has become more dangerous and that makes them scared. It makes people act irrationally. And this crime bill that the council sort of grudgingly but overwhelmingly passed that makes it easier, it could create some new felonies, makes pretrial detention of uh, people accused of violent crimes easier. It's kind of stuff that had been deemed passe not very long ago. So do you embrace that or do you um, continue down the path of like, hey, I don't know that that kind of balls out policing actually had much to do with the fall in crime over the last couple decades. And and I don't know that we should be going back to it. Proof's in the pudding, but I think it's a pretty savvy appointment because if this person whose most recent background is in promoting equity in policing uh, and whose biography, the first black woman police chief, is as a trailblazer, it's hard to caricature this person as like vicious, brutal face of policing. That's not to say that's not to say that she's incapable of doing vicious, brutal things, but I'm just saying that from a optics point of view, it makes her a little bit tougher to lampoon as a as a as a brutal cop. Yeah. This is what someone the left who dealt with Kamala Harris though, when she was a prosecutor in California. True. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that she had mentioned, at least in the opening presser, was that she wants to be more public facing. She wants to be going into communities and asking them specifically, like, what do you want from me? And how can mm-hmm. I help you? help me help you kind of situation. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And so I don't know if that's like a swerve away from the Conti years, if he was as public facing or not, but I think having that goodwill towards constituents and saying, hey, like, I really want to get this under control. I want your input, whether it's like bringing stuff up before council and saying, hey, we should make stuff stiffer penalties, similar to the stuff that we've already passed. Or if people are saying, you know what, Mm, this isn't really cutting it. I do think that kind of goodwill towards the people of D.C. is something, obviously, that is to curry favor. But I think at the same time is, you know, if she wants to make a difference, then like starting from the ground up, I guess, is a good way to do so. You know, it's a complicated conversation. Uh, You've got the actual, you know, regular residents who go about their lives. You've got activists on sort of both sides of a bunch of criminal justice policy things. You've got a council who responds both to their constituents and to activists. You've got the police union and you've got the mayor who hired you. All new chiefs, and I don't want to read too much into any one person, but there's always like with Conti, oh, he, you know, he joined the MPD when he was 17. Mm-hmm. So he really like knows the people. Yeah. And in, in Pamela Smith's case, they, the, Bowser said, look, she comes from Arkansas. She's, she's able to look at it with new eyes. Mm-hmm. And the point is you can, you know, cite their biography to indicate whatever it is you want to indicate. Yeah. I don't, at the end of the day, know how much any of this has <laughs> to do with, uh, with the uh, rise or fall in crime. But one of the things a police chief does have to do is maintain a public constituency and support and, and represent her uh, officers that way. Mm-hmm. 
When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So, Dan, you have a cottage industry of your own uh, obsession with ranked choice voting, um, which is the you know system in which you, instead of just voting for one candidate, and if you're in a field of eight candidates, the, candidates, the, the person you vote for could wind up with like 22% and still win. You list in order of preferences so that by the end of the counting, the person who wins actually has like a majority uh, support. This uh, has been implemented a lot of places, including Alaska, where it's probably responsible for Sarah Palin losing her race, and and New York. And now, I mean, the, the idea was it was going to come to D.C. Uh, they mm -hmm. put it on the ballot as an initiative, like, should we have this kind of uh, thing? The Democratic Party of D.C. has opposed this for very understandable reasons, which is the Democratic Party is uh, such an overwhelmingly dominant force that this uh, proposal, which would include open primaries and stuff, would probably lessen the party's institutional power, if not its uh, wins. But this is a thing you have paid a lot of attention to over the years. What do you mm -hmm. make of it? Like, if I know you live in Silver Spring, but if you were a DC voter, uh, would you want this to be on the ballot and how would you vote and why? Ranked choice voting is is not just a DC thing, but it's regional now, right? Like Arlington is the first place in the region to have tried it in uh, this, the primary last month. They're not doing it now uh, for the general uh, because they felt maybe things had moved too fast, uh, and there were concerns that it was confusing to people in less affluent or minority communities. Like it was harder to do voter outreach, and that was one of the concerns the DC Democratic Party raised as well, right? And that's sort of, I think, one of like the big recurring questions in any kind of like civic or po political stuff is it like, how do you reach out to people who aren't the usual suspects who vote in every election, who come to every meeting, who know everything that's going on? How much do you actually have to do to help them understand what's going on? Right. There was an interesting quote from an ANC commissioner in Ward 7, who also chairing the, the campaign in support of ranked force voting in D.C., uh, she said the criticism that ranked choice voting is too complicated is insulting and archaic, right? That maybe it's you, you talking down to people to say they can't understand what admittedly is kind of a complicated way to vote. But it's the same conversation that's been happening in Arlington and the city of Rockville in Maryland, which had talked about uh, doing ranked choice voting is also not going to do it uh, because the mayor there said they think we're not familiar enough with it. So I don't know. Have y'all had a hard time understanding what it is? No, no, but let, let me put this out there. Like, I think that, yes, it is. It, it seems kind of like insulting to think that this is uh, rocket science, right? You just, you list mm -hmm. an order of preference mm -hmm. and uh, your second choice vote has some power if your first choice vote doesn't pan out. It's not that tricky. I do have a part of me that wonders as we embrace ranked choice voting and, and other things that, you know, we're at this moment where there's so much, you know, Trump... And so on, mm -hmm. like so much conspiracy theory about elections and so much, you know, 
doubts about the legitimacy of elections. Um, and it wasn't just Trump. It's his feeling in, in various left circles about uh, other elections being uh, messed with. And in some cases, it's it's not an illegitimate uh, fear. I mean, if you look at the history of discrimination against black voters, it's a very legitimate fear. In that context, is it maybe not a great time to mess with the rules? Mm. When I think of like the folks who are raising concerns about like presidential election, you know, the stop the steal folks, they seem like a slightly different crowd uh, than the folks we're talking about here. Oh, well, sure. But like, I, I just mean in general, we're at a moment in our country of like delegitimization of institutions. And I don't think that is a, that's a feeling that is uh, limited to the extreme right. And one of the things uh, delegitimize themselves has become confusing and, and people are quite sure how they work. And when you introduce changes, even if they're basically good changes, it might sometimes add to that confusion. And there's just there's moments where it's like maybe better to not uh, do anything to further confuse. On the other hand, you have these ridiculous primary elections in D.C. where like 23 people will run for the Democratic Party's uh, nomination to some right. at-large D.C. council seat. And the winner will get like, you know, 17 percent of the vote or something. I'm exaggerating, yeah. but not that much. Um, <laughs> and win, quote unquote, the general election because the Democratic mm -hmm. nominee is going to win. And then you've got these people who are now elected DC council members with, you know, not that much legitimacy in the sense of like, like a majority of the electorate having picked them. And that's like a pretty bad status quo too. Yeah. That too. Oh yeah. This is where I make my proposal for my preferred kind of election. <laughs> you said I was a nerd. It's called a jungle primary or blanket primary. You know, pick pick your metaphor. And the way it works is in the primary election, everybody, regardless of party affiliation or independent, is in the primary together. And Ooh. then instead of having like separate like Republican and Democratic party primaries, and then the top two winners go on to the general. And they've also done this in California. And one of the reasons why I like it for this area is because it is so heavily democratic, right? That just to your, your point, Mike, that someone can win the primary with a not majority of the vote or barely even a plurality, you know, very small share and go as a Democrat, right? And then go into the general against a Republican who will lose because they are right. Republican and don't really have a mandate. You know, this is a recurring problem in Montgomery County, where for the past two elections, the county executive has been reelected with the tiniest margin of votes, right? In a jungle and or blanket primary, I think of it as like continuing the conversation uh, in the general, as opposed to just sort of having you know, an election that isn't totally used to its full potential. Do you think D.C. or Montgomery County or Virginia after this like trial run mm -hmm. with like ranked choice voting, do you think that they would try a jungle-style primary, or do you think that they would have some of the same excuses where, like, oh, it's too complicated if everyone votes at once, we're used to doing it the old-fashioned way. Dan, what do you think would happen? I think it's too complicated, but I think the the same way that the Democratic Party is fighting ranked choice voting in D.C., it's logical the Democratic Party would not want jungle primaries, um, because also means Republicans and unaffiliated voters are voting in the primary with everybody else, and that that dilutes the Democratic Party's power and influence, even though the likelihood is very strong that you would have two Democrats in the fall uh, running against each other. So I I imagine it would probably end up very similarly. All right, you want to know my worthy proposal? Do it. Totally Let's different. Hear it. Blow this up. Um, 
uh, it's a worthwhile Canadian initiative. Uh, my uh, my wife is a known Canadian. Um, up there, as I understand it, there are different, like legally different entities, mm-hmm. different political parties at the city level and at the pr- province level and at the national level. So like you could both be members of the Democratic Party when it came to national politics. But in D.C., you know, we could have a like D.C. like super progressive party and a D.C. centrist party. And um, by national standards, members of both would probably be fairly to the left on the Democratic Party. But uh, it would represent kind of truth in advertising, because right now, mm-hmm. like we who are nerdy for city politics, <laughs> like we can tell you who the progressive bloc is in the uh, D.C. Mm-hmm. Council, who the more centrists are on the D.C. Council. But a regular, you know, not especially well-informed voter just looking at their party ID would be clueless about this because they are almost right. all Democrats. And if you could uh, actually like oblige that, you know, just because you happen to agree that like Biden is better than Trump doesn't mean you agree Mm -hmm. about like what the best budget for D.C. is or the best way of doing policing in D.C. is. Um, If we could somehow uh, unconstitutionally uh, (laughs) forbid organizations, (laughs) um, if you could somehow create a uh, a system where there's like different parties um, locally, people would know what they're voting for. And I think that would basically be like a good thing and avert a lot of these sort of uh, people getting into office with uh, without much of a mandate. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. You know, if I if I lived in D.C., I, I would register for the Mike Schaefer party. <laughs> Who and among us would for not? the Dan Reed party. Exactly. <laughs> I think the Dan Reed party would do a lot better. Oh, yeah. Dan Reed party would crush. I'm flattered. All right. So speaking of parties, hey, I've been looking for a good transition. It is uh, World Cup season again. And D.C. is such a cool place to do your watching because there's all these embassies and a large international population, you know, really all kinds of countries that uh, have large immigrant populations as well as countries that don't. Um, And they often sponsor events that you can do. So if you could watch the World Cup in a uh, true Norwegian style or something like that, Julia has been looking at uh, where to watch, how to watch. Uh, What is cool out there? What should we do? Okay, so I feel like this requires a little bit of prefacing. So this year's World Cup is in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And as you might know, uh, their timetable is flipped from ours. Uh, So a lot of the games are happening at three in the morning. (laughs) Now, uh, to solve this problem, uh, Kenyon McDuffie passed legislation saying DC bars can be open 24-7 and serving alcohol. You know, we'd love to see it. So if you're looking for some embassy-type stuff, it might not be in their best interest to be open at three in the morning with a bunch of drunkards roaming around <laughs> trying to trying to watch the game. Because most of these games are at three in the morning, I would check each individual embassy's website to see if they're having a watch party at 3 a.m. A lot of mm-hmm. embassies in the past have done watch parties when the games are at like 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. or at a timetable that's a little more favorable to us Americans. Uh, so I would check with your embassy of choice, embassy of flavor, uh, if you're looking for the match that you're interested in. Um, If you're just wanting to go and watch at a bar, uh, because of all of the legislation that got passed where you can watch at 3 a.m., there are so many options. (laughs) So, so, so many options. So, like, Boundary Stone in Bloomingdale uh, is including like staying open until 3 a.m. DC time, there's gonna be like a breakfast menu there and happy hour beers will be available at three in the morning. So if that is your vibe, go to Boundary Stone, apparently. There are official watch parties as well. So uh, the Washington Spirit, which is the local NWSL team in the area, their official watch party is at the bullpen. It's that little like outdoor complex area right outside Nationals Park. Uh, They will have a huge watch party there. Um, Additionally, the American Outlaws, which is the 
fan group for the U.S. women's and men's national teams. It's the sports group. Their official bar is Astro Beer Hall uh, down near Metro Center. That is where I will be going tonight uh, when the USA plays Vietnam at 9 p.m. Uh, so say hi if you're going to be there. If you're looking for something else, as you are, which is the Queer Cafe and Bar on Capitol Hill, they're going to have a lot of the games over the next two weeks. So like the U.S. plays the Netherlands next week at 9 p.m. I will be going with my friends to that. Um, a lot of the beer gardens and the usual suspects, so like Midlands, Atlas and Navy Yard, Wonder Garden, they're going to have the TVs locked and loaded and ready to go. The beer will be flowing. The food will be there for the eaten. Uh, and you can just go out and watch. Wait, let me ask you, as a as an observer of international sure. football, as they call it, um, <laughs> if you're like me and you approach this sort of as anthropology or you know mm. cultural diplomacy, not um, more than sports, is there any team uh, in in the Women's World Cup, any country where the like cheering tradition is particularly like interesting, fun, colorful to be part of? That we, uh, you know, if you can catch it game by this country's team, uh, you should do it. Is there is there anyone you would pick? Ooh, that's a fabulous question. I'm not sure, but I know because Australia and New Zealand are hosting, and it's the first time anyone in that area has hosted the World Cup for the women, they are going to be going bananas. In terms of teams that I would root for, uh, any of the first-time teams, so like the women's Filipino team, it's their first Women's World Cup ever. So... If you're a Filipino descent, I would find your neighbors and find your fellow country humans and go absolutely wild and see if there are any traditions that are interesting or fun. Because, again, it's you only get your first time in the Women's World Cup once. So good time to do it. Hey, Dan, who are you pulling for? <laughs> uh, I'm pulling for I go to bed at 10 o'clock. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this is I'm, I, this is not the year for me to get into soccer. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, Dan. I'll have to wait until they come to this hemisphere. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I'm, I'm with you on rooting for the first-timers. The Philippines is cool. Yeah. Uh, I like Vietnam, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a chance, obviously, depending on which bracket they are in, they might get blown up by some of the more, like, powerhouse teams. So think, like, USA, Netherlands, England, those kind of teams. Uh, but again, we love an underdog story. I'd say root for them because the fans are going to be going nuts again. Big fan of the underdogs. Woo-woo. Woo-hoo. All right, Dan Reed, thank you for being here, my friend. Thanks for having me. Julia, always awesome to talk to you, especially about sports. Thanks, Mike. We do have a tip of the day, which we do on Fridays. We get tips from our listeners, from our guests, from our friends. Send them in to us if you can. Today, our tip is each recreation center in DC is different in the type of stuff they offer. Some have gym equipment like treadmills, exercise bikes, and weight machines, while others have free weights and squat racks. Sometimes there's a computer lab in a game room with ping pong, air hockey, pool table, or foosball. Nobody really tells you this stuff, so you kind of have to wander around and open doors to find it. So go to a rec center and explore. Love that. Always down to explore if there's foosball and or air hockey and gym <laughs> equipment. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our producers are Julia Karen and Elizabeth Kama. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.